You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue in our study of the book of Romans. And we begin a, a new chapter today, which is a lot of fun. You know, it took us four weeks to get through chapter one, but hey, that's just is what it is. And uh, the title for today's message is God's Righteous Judgments. God's Righteous Judgment. And again, your study guide uh, for this study, it's there on Facebook. It is also on our website there underneath the um, a PDF is there underneath the live stream, feed, live stream feed, as well as the church app. You can go to the notes section there and find the study guide for today. But we are continuing in the first section of the book of Romans. And we know that Romans, of course, breaks up into four excellent sections that are very nice to pick out. And we are in the first one, which is outlining the wrath of God. That is from chapters 1 to chapter 3, verse 20. And we're looking at the reality that the gospel, the good news that, you know, Jesus Christ loves us and and wants to save us and he paid for us to be saved on the cross. It's such good news because, hey, there's some bad news. And the bad news is that you and I, the whole world, we're sinners. We're sinners. And because of that, our sin warrants nothing but death and wrath of God to be revealed to us. And last week we looked at Paul really starting to dive into the wrath of God being revealed on the world. And today we see Paul continue in this section. And we must remember that in the Bible, the chapters and verses, they weren't there in the original text. They were put in there later um, so as to help break up thought and you know, help us to navigate the word. But really what we read here today is, again, Paul's letter to the Romans. He wrote this from Corinth, and as he wrote it, it would be just a continual thought. And so as we pick up in chapter 2, we see Paul continuing the thought of God's wrath being revealed there to the world. And he writes there to um, an audience today of God's wrath being revealed and God going to judge righteously. He speaks to a group who is not, as we saw last week, who would be maybe the, the, the hopeless reprobate sinner. But today he speaks to the righteous sinner. He speaks today to the righteous sinner, maybe the ones who would look at what we saw last week with the actions of the world who were denying God with their actions and with their mindsets going away from God. And they would say, no, that's that's not me. Paul isn't writing to me at this point. But yet what we're going to see today is Paul addressing the self-righteous the ones who would say, I'm not in that camp. And Paul would say, yeah, but the playing field is level when it comes to the Lord and to his righteous judgment. So with that, if you will, pick up with me in verse 1 of Romans chapter 2. Let's read a bit and pray, and then we will move on into it. Verse 1 says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Let's pray. Amen. Well, the first section that we look at today that Paul seeks to address is the subject of the judgments of God. 
And in any generalization, such as the preceding indictment that Paul laid out of humanity being wicked and deserving of death, we always will see those who perceive that they are the exception to the rule. And in the case of who exactly Paul is speaking to right now, commentators and Bible scholars, uh, there's a debate as to whether it's the moralist Gentile, the one who is not a Jew, but is also not just a reprobate pagan, someone who feels that they're doing right, um, but yet aren't under the law, or if he is starting his conversation to the Jewish people at this point. There's debate as to which one it is, and I, you know, personally, I think he's addressing the Jew here because of the way that that the context of the chapter rolls and the way that he picks up in verse 17, which we will start next week, um, it seems that he'd be talking to a Jewish audience. Um, but regardless of who it is that he's actually talking to, both camps can apply. Both camps can apply because we can lump these two camps into the camp of the self-righteous, those who would see themselves differently because the sins that were listed before we were not the ones that they participated in. But yet Paul starts out chapter 2 making it known, notice that they are inexcusable. Inexcusable. Let's work through this verse 1 really fast. As he says there, they are inexcusable. He's speaking because their judgment is wrong. Man's judgment is wrong. As Paul says that they are inexcusable, oh man, he's speaking to men and women, really the whole world, and he tells them that they are inexcusable who judge, for in judgment they are actually heaping condemnation upon themselves. And the word to key in on in verse 1 is the word judge. And Paul uses for judge the Greek word krino, and it carries with it the thought of judging with an adverse verdict, or otherwise it is a judgment of sentencing or or condemnation. The verse could be read, you are inexcusable, O man, you who condemn one another. And it's at this juncture that we must pause and kind of break out, break down this word judge and make sure that we are talking about the same thing today. Because you see, the judgment that Paul here is speaking of, the judge, the word krino that he's using, is not the word that Jesus would speak to us, that the Bible would speak to us when it comes to us discerning sin or discerning truth. See, we are called to judge. We absolutely are. If we are followers of Jesus, we are called to judge. We're called to judge in a discerning manner, in a way that says, hey, that over there is sin, that over there is not truth, and I'm going to walk according to how the Bible would say that I'm to walk. And so we are called to, to, to judge, but not to judge in a way that Paul speaks here under condemnation. We're not called to judge to condemn, but we are called to judge and discern. And we do that by knowing the truth, right? We know that by knowing the truth of the Bible and knowing the truth of the word of God and the truth of God so that we can walk in that truth, knowing when sin is sin to say, no, I'm not going to walk in that. Or when we are called to, you know, go and to lovingly uh, talk to a brother or a sister about sin. Hey, that is not us judging to condemnation. That is us being discerning. And God calls us to that through his word. And we must know that Paul here is speaking not of that judgment, not of that discerning, but he's speaking of that Greek word krino, that judgment unto condemnation, where man here is taking it upon themselves to condemn the other man. And Paul says that man is condemned, though. And notice why he says that. He says, because you who judge 
practice the same thing. Meaning that not only is man here trying to condemn and he's judging unfairly, but man is also guilty of sin. The word to key in on there is the word same in, that, in, in this verse. And it says there, the Greek word for same there is the word ata. And Paul uses this word because the moralist or the self-righteous Jew would be able to look at the sins listed in the verse before here. And again, what they would do is they would look at them and be like, well, I'm not doing that. I don't do that. I know someone does that. I don't walk with that person who does that one, and I'm not in that camp. I'm not the one who does that. But Paul says here that you are guilty of the same things, meaning that you may not be doing identical actions, but your actions, your sin is still sin. And your sin still deserves judgment. Simply put, it may not be the same sin. The sin may not look the same, but it is sin just the same. I'm going to say that again. The sin may not look the same, but it is sin just the same. You see, everyone in the human race, all of us are sinners. All humanity has turned away from God and commits sin. And even though there are differences in frequency and extent and degree of sin, everyone is a sinner before God. Everyone is a sinner before God, and specifically the audience that Paul is addressing right here, the self-righteous and morally upstanding, they may not be guilty of the list of sins that were written before. They may not be you know, listed there and may not be guilty of outward sin or the same outward sins if they did commit some of those, but their sin is still sin. And their sin of taking the position of God and passing judgment actually condemns them in their sin. It is sin unto them as they pass judgment and condemn because that judgment, again, only belongs to God. It only belongs to the Lord because they, in their judgment, hear me on this, are not judging fairly as God judged us, as God's judgment is. You see, God's judgment, we need to know today, is true. Verse 2 says that. It says, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. You see, in contrast to the judgment from man that judges based on outward appearance or outward comparison, Paul says here that the judgment of God is according to truth. According to truth means according to the absolute objective truth found in God's nature. You see, we, we remember that we talked about the righteousness of God a few weeks back. This is his attribute of being completely right and completely just in every way. He's completely whole. Meaning that everything from God, everything that he does and everything that he decides is true and right. It has to be. It has to be. Otherwise, God is less than who he is. And he can't be because God is immutable. He can't be less than God. And because of his righteousness, his omniscience, he knows the mind of man. He knows the heart of man. He knows everything. And so he knows and can judge according to truth because he is wholly right and because he knows all things. God can pass true judgment that man cannot. Man cannot. See, God, God knows what Hebrews 4.13 says, where it says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, before God, we stand there open. We stand there before him, and he knows everything. And God judges according to the truth that every man and every woman is a sinner. That every man, whether outward or inward, is a sinner. And God's judgment of sin is universal. It's universal. And verse 3 says that there is no one who escapes the judgment of God. 
not those who commit sinful actions as in chapter 1, neither will the one Paul addresses here who do not partake of the same sinful actions, but judge those who do. Because even if the actions are not the same, sin is still sin. No matter the form it takes, sin is still sin, and it's still against God. And their passing judgment, they are, what's worse, is they, again, are taking the position of God and condemning by comparison. You see, man doesn't judge sin rightly because man is not righteous as God is righteous. We don't have that immutable characteristic of righteousness that God has. We judge by comparison where God judges righteously. God judges in truth. And we must understand this true righteousness, this true judgment of God today. Because the ability uh, that humans possess to, you know, play the comparison game when it comes to sin and actions of others is something humans are innately very good at. We're very good at it. And sadly, we're really good at it here in the church. The church as a whole is very good at the comparison game. It's why whenever we, you know, come to church, we come to service and we hear the subject matter for the day, we, we get that thought in our head of, man, where, we look around the sanctuary like, is so-and-so here today? Like, are they, are they here today? We, maybe you right now, you're like checking your Facebook feed, you're like, are they listening to this message? Like, that's, that's just where we go. But what we do in that moment is we take ourselves and we put us in the seat that only belongs to God. The seat of judgment of that person, and our judgment is not true because, again, it's based on comparison. It's based on comparison. And, and we do this with practical sins. Take sins that we look at just this past or last week from chapter 1. You know, speaking there of gossip, you make gossip from time to time, but, you know, your gossip doesn't, you know, lead to all-out fights and, you know, brawls at work or things like that. Like, your gossip is just, you know, it, it, it's okay. Maybe you shroud it with a prayer request, but you're not, you know, gossiping in the way someone else does. Or maybe you, yeah, you may have a, a, few, a few too many on the weekend every now and then, at family get-togethers or at parties. You may get a little, a little too, too tipsy, and in the, in the sin of drunkenness is something that you dabble in every now and then. But you're not getting blasted every weekend and then getting behind you know, the wheel of a car and putting other people in danger, so you're okay. And you may be dabbling in pornography, but you're not, you know, leaving your spouse and going and crawling in bed with your coworker or your neighbor. We may do this, we may do that, we may say, hey, yeah, I do this, but I don't do what they do. And in that, what we do is we compare. What we do is we play the comparison game, and in doing so, we condemn those that we compare ourselves to. Because we are always going to be right, and everyone else is going to be condemned against us. Everyone else is going to be condemned against us. And what's worse is we forget that our sin is still sin, just the same. It doesn't matter how drunk you get, it's still drunkenness. It doesn't matter if it's on the internet, it's still adultery or fornication. It doesn't matter if you shroud it in a prayer request, gossip is still gossip. And sin demands judgment. Sin, all sin, is still sin, just the same. And God being right and just and holy, righteous, he has to judge sin. He has to by his nature. It is his position against sin to judge. And the wrath of God is revealed against all sin. Now, I'm thankful because the Bible also says that Jesus Christ took all of God's judgment there on the cross for us, right? Like, we're thankful for that reality. Again, the good news is good because there's bad news. And the good news is Jesus died for us. But our right standing with God through the blood of Jesus still doesn't give us the right or the position to judge because we are still human 
and humans still judge according to comparison, not according to truth. And Paul here is laying that out as he starts this conversation here, as he's addressing this group, he's leveling the playing field. And he's letting them know that, hey, yeah, you may not commit that sin, but you are still a sinner, and your sinning doesn't give you the right to judge. You are inexcusable still, even though you judge. In fact, because you judge, you are inexcusable. And Paul is going to continue on with this group. As he looks there first at the judgment of God, now he moves into looking at the patience of God. And as he speaks to them about, hey, where they're sitting and how they feel towards themselves. So pick up with me there in verse 4. Where it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent hearts, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgments of God. See, Paul here again, like I said, is he's leveling the playing field for the Romans. He's making sure that everyone realizes that, one, they are unrighteous before God. And so as he speaks to this group, he continues to do so by letting them know that God's patience displayed in not immediately judging sin was not nullifying wrath to come. Even on this people who thought they could escape or would escape because of their righteousness, God's patience, Paul says, was meant to lead men and women into repentance. Whether they saw this as weakness on God's part or a free pass for them because they were God's maybe chosen people in the Jews' case or that they were better than others in the moralist case, Paul wants to clear it up for them and let them know that God was not any less God and his righteous judgment was still coming. And that's what verse 5 shows us. Verse 5 would show them there, speaking of them, indicated in the text of not repenting of their sin and hardening their hearts. Paul says that they have wrath being stored up for them in the day of judgment as they are there thinking to themselves, hey, I'm not like that other person, but yet they continue to sin, whether it be in their thought life or in other actions or in their condemnation of others. Their actions are storing up for them wrath in the day of judgment and revelation. And leveling the playing field, the moralists would think that their good attitude, their moral upright living and works compared to others, of course, were storing up for them good things to come. And so for the Jew and for, the, and for their adherence to the law and being God's chosen people, that that would also exempt them from the judgment of others. But I love Paul here about how honest and blunt that they were about storing up nothing but wrath in their hardness of heart in comparison that kept them from repentance. It kept them from it. And that's true today as it was in Paul's day. It absolutely is true that we need to not mistake God's patience in dealing with sin as exemption. And nor do we, in our comparison, need to think that we are somehow exempt from wrath because of who we are or what we do or what we don't do. Because the Bible is clear that there is one way to be forgiven, that there is one salvation, and God's patience in dealing with sin for the whole world should lead mankind to repentance. It should lead us there, and we should look at that as the reality of knowing that, hey, there is nothing that is innately within us that we do that gets us there except for repentance. That all that we do, all that we bring to the Lord, it does nothing but bring us 
wrath. It stores up wrath. Our good works are, are not enough. Our good works are our good works compared to our neighbor or to our coworker. Those are not enough. What is enough is Jesus's blood that was spilled on the cross of Calvary. What is enough is the salvation that, that God offers to us because of his radical love for us. And this right here would have been a, a mind-blowing fact here for the audience. That all that they were doing, all that they did, all it was doing was storing up wrath. Where they thought that they were in the right spot and thinking that, yeah, I'm not being judged as those others that Paul just outlined are being judged, so I must be doing okay. They're, in fact, negating the, the reality that, Paul, that, God is, that God is being patient and wanting all to come to him and repent. And so Paul here, or Paul here is speaking here of this patience that God is having, this patience that God is having there for the entire world. And that leads him into verse, verse 5 again. We're going to read it again to get a running start into this next section because after the patience of God comes the fairness of God, the fairness of God in his judgment. Pick it with me there in verse 5 again where it says, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent hearts, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 11 is so key for there is no partiality with God. Here what we see is that man will be judged accordingly. As Paul lays it out clearly for the reader, God will judge each one according to his deeds. All of man's deeds stand before God and his holiness. And it doesn't matter who the person is, what nationality that they are from. God judges according to what man does with the life given. The way the life, the way the life is spent and to whom or for whom the life is spent for the basis is the basis of judgments. And Paul here is espousing to the reader in Rome that it doesn't matter who you are, that God is going to judge the deeds of the good and the bad. The faithful will have their deeds examined as well as the evil. And verse 11 is so key for it. Again, I point you back to it that there is no partiality with God. And this verse right here would have been shocking to the moral upright Jew or the moral upstanding comparing to others moralist. The idea that they would have their life examined the same as the pagan Gentile would have been a a big pill for them to swallow. But Paul here is clear that God will judge all men. All are alike before him. See, God is is completely fair in his judgment because he is not a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of persons, but the field is level there and he looks there and will judge fairly and righteously. Because he has no partiality. He holds no partiality. There is no partiality with God. Peter had this this, uh, eye-opening event in in the book of Acts. Where in the book of Acts, as he is going to Cornelius' house, again, he has no idea why he's going there, but yet he knows that God is sending him there. And there as he goes into the house and he sees that God is doing a work there to the Gentiles. And of course, Peter being the good Jewish boy, he's like freaking out. He's like, man, this is, this is crazy. Why am I here? 
And then as he goes into the house, what does verse 34 and 35 of chapter 10 say in the book of Acts? It says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Peter had his eyes open to the reality that God has no partiality with him. He shows no partiality. Peter learned the truth that Paul is speaking here, that God loves all and wants to save all. And in the same way that God does not see nationality or creed in salvation, so, does, so he doesn't see it in judgment either. God is fair across the board. God is fair across humanity. Paul's statement in verse 11 would again be shocking for the upright Jew. It would be shocking for the moralists, those who considered themselves deserving of special treatment because they didn't do what others did. They didn't look as others did. They didn't partake as others partook. And maybe you are sitting in that camp right now and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I've got it together because I don't as such and such or I don't as so and so. I know that I've been there plenty of times. I know that I've been there plenty of times playing the comparison game. But what I need to be reminded of is that God is fair across the board. God is fair across the board and there is no partiality within him. He judges faithfully, rightfully, and truthfully. And we're going to see next week as we continue on that this is going to become more realized to the Jewish audience there as Paul would be writing to them. But Paul goes on and he finishes out this little section today and so do we as well in verses 12 through 16 as he shows further how God is fair, how he is fair across the board and how he is fair when it comes to man, man being judged by the Lord. Pick it up there in verse 12. Where it says, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Paul here is expounding on the fairness of God, and he's sharing that all will be judged according to the standard that they had. You see, the Gentiles will perish because of their sin, even though they are without the law, meaning the law that was given there. And then, all, and then the Jews are not spared simply because they have the law. See, Paul reaffirms that it's not the possession of the law, but those who walk in it. The law is no good if you break it. The law is no good if you don't adhere to it. And so this would take away from this favoritism mindset that the Jewish, would, that the Jewish man or woman would have. And Paul is going to elaborate on that later. But in verses 14 through 16, Paul here elaborates on the fairness of God in the judgment specifically of the Gentile here. Where Paul explains why Gentiles who do not have the law will still face judgment. You see, God is fair in judging them because God's law is written, it says there, on their hearts. So that their conscience attests to what is right and what is wrong in their behavior. See, humans have in, in them, we have within us this innate ability to discern right and wrong. You see, we call it a conscience, a moral compass, maybe the little voice there inside of you. Maybe some of you have more voices than others, but either way, that lets you know when you are doing something wrong. 
It's why cultures across the world, no matter how advanced they may be, they know when a wrong is committed. They know when they commit a wrong or they know when they have a wrong committed at them. You know, it's, it's, it's why we, even when we are, are really little, we know that when somebody does something mean to us that we can define it as mean because we're like, hey, I didn't like that. Or when we do something wrong, even before we know that it's wrong, we're like, I shouldn't get caught for doing this right now. Like, you know, you steal a cookie from the cookie jar and you're like, why, did I, why, why do I feel bad about this? This is amazing. Why? But, we, but we know innately within us that it's wrong. And that is because all men, all, all, all humans are created by a moral lawgiver, an objective moral lawgiver that is God who has written this reality of right and wrong on our hearts so that even the world around us, the world that rejects God, still compares and ranks wrongdoings. Murder is worse than lifting some bubble gum. You know, like that, that, that is something that is across the board. It's across the board. Running someone over with your car is worse than, you know, t- ding-dong ditching someone's house. That's, that's a ridiculous example. But anyways, you get the idea. We have in our minds this ranking system of sin. We have in our minds this ranking system of wrong, whether it's wrong that we commit or wrong that is committed towards us. Because there's an objective moral law giver that is God. We each have within us a moral law that is written on our hearts, and it is because of that that even those who are without law are accountable to God. Now, admittedly, we think of this truth making sense for places like America or, you know, European nations or major parts uh, of Asia. But this isn't a very palatable truth for us. Like we, we, we kind of, you know, uh, we recoil at this truth a lot, especially when it comes or the question comes to us, well, what about the deepest, darkest jungles of wherever? What about the individual who never gets, you know, the gospel tracked, what happens to the person that is never reached. And we think, and many will ask the question, what happens to them? Where do they sit? What, What goes on with them? And to that, let me say this, that God is right and man is a sinner. The Bible is explicit on that. That all of mankind has sinned, that there is none but Jesus who is perfect. There's none but Jesus who ever walked this earth that was without sin. And for that, God will judge. He has to. We look at God's moral, right, upstanding character. He is innately righteous. That is an immutable characteristic of God. And because of his righteousness, he has to judge sin. Sin has to be judged, and the wrath of God is being revealed, and he will judge righteously. But the other side of that is that Christ died for the whole world. He died for everyone. And that is, you know, that is debated even in the church, but yet we know and need to know today that Christ's atoning death on the cross was for everyone. Anyone who cries out to God to be saved will be saved. He absolutely will. She absolutely will. If you cry out to Jesus and say, save me, I want to be saved by you. I want to come under the atoning blood that you shed for me on the cross. Hey, you'll be saved. Christ died for the whole world. The Bible is explicit on that so that all who call upon the name of the, of the Lord shall be saved. And we know from the Bible that God has revealed himself to everyone. We saw that last week. We saw that last week as we see there in chapter 1 how, how, it, how Paul speaks there about how God has revealed himself to the whole world, that creation cries out and speaks and attests to the reality that there is a creator, that there is God. 
So answer the question about God's fairness, the same principle of verse 12 there applies. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. The same way that God does not hold the Gentile accountable to the law and holds the Jew accountable to the law, the same way that you and I listening today to this are held accountable by what we hear. We're held accountable to what we receive. And the man or the woman who does not hear the explicit truth of the gospel will be judged according to what they did receive and how they responded to it. And because we know that God is just and righteous, we can know that he will judge just and righteously. And knowing the truth that God has, one, shown himself to the world, and that Christ died for the whole world, we can infer that God will make himself known, and men and women will be able to respond to God. And God will judge according to how they respond. God will judge, will judge according to what they received. And now, admittedly, admittedly, and I have no problem admittingly, admitting this to you, I don't exactly know what that looks like. I, I don't. I don't, but what I know is that one day I'm going to look at God and say, that was right. I'm going to look at God and say, that was just and true. All of your ways are perfect. I'm going to believe that, I have to believe from the Bible that God has got it, that he will judge fairly because God is righteous and he is true. And so he will judge accordingly. My judgment is, of course, based on comparison, outward appearance. I can't see the heart's. But I know from the Bible that God judges fairly. He judges rightly. He judges according to the inward heart. And so as I look here at this, I look at this reality that God is going to judge the whole world, knowing that, hey, Christ died for the whole world. Meaning the whole world has opportunity to see God and to respond to the salvation that he offers. And how you respond and how I respond may be different than how someone else responds or how they receive the truth and how they respond to that truth. That is on them and they will be held accountable to God for that. But God will judge rightly on that day. The whole world needs forgiveness. The whole world needs salvation. And Christ made a way for the whole world to be saved. We know that. And today, friends, the righteous judgment of God is just that. It is righteous. As we've been looking at this truth today, we see that God's judgment is right. It is righteous. As God is holy, true, and right, so too does he judge. And knowing that today, knowing this truth today, seeing this played out should cause us to stop and think on what we have seen through the text today. To stop and think and to let this sink in, to remember that sin, it demands judgment. Judgment that is right and necessary for the whole world because all have sinned. All of the world has sinned. Even if your sin and my sin isn't the same as each other's sin or the sin of our neighbor or our coworker, sin is still sin, just the same. Again, it may not look the same, but it is still sin, just the same. And that sin, sin has to be judged. But we also need to remember that Christ died to take the judgment. He took God's judgment, God's wrath upon himself. And hallelujah for that amazing truth. Again, the gospel is good news because there's bad news that we're a sinner, but it's good, good news because we know that we have a way for our sins to be forgiven. That Christ took care of that on the cross to where we enter into relationship with him, have the blood of Christ cover and atone for our sins to where, what are, what are we? We are clothed, remember chapter 1, verse 17. We're clothed in the righteousness of God being revealed. And it's from faith to faith. It starts with faith and it ends with faith. It's faith all the way through. By grace through faith, we are saved to where when God looks at us, there's not judgment, but there's, ah, that's my child. He sees the righteousness of Christ applied to us. And in knowing that, 
with and by what we know, God will hold us accountable. God will hold us accountable. No matter who you are, God will hold you and I and the whole world accountable to what we know and how we responded to what we know. And that is fair. God's judgment is righteous and fair. And that is what Paul here is outlining here in in our text today. And in the context, again, he's speaking to those who would be morally upstanding, who would look at themselves and say, yeah, I don't fit into that camp of chapter one. That's not who I am. I'm above that. I would never do those atrocious things. But Paul would look at them and say, yeah, but you are inexcusable, O man, you who judge. Because one, you are still a sinner. Because all of man is still a sinner. And worse yet, you're taking the seat of God and you are condemning those And only God needs to do that. That is not your place. That is not my place. That is not our place. And so what we need to do today, my friends, what we need to do is we need to look inward at our hearts and lives and pray that the Lord would speak to us. Speak to us and reveal to us, maybe for the first time today or for the hundredth time today, that you and I are sinners. That you and I are sinners and nothing, our sin brings us nothing and warrants us nothing but the wrath of God, judgment, death, separation, from God. But yet God made a way for us because of his radical love to be forgiven of sin and to have a relationship with him so that we aren't under condemnation. We aren't under the wrath. But that, that not being under wrath, that not being under condemnation, we must remember today too that that does not excuse us. That does not give us the ability or the right to judge Yes, we're called to discern. Yes, we're called to make calls as to, hey, what is truth and what is not, especially in this day. In this day and age, as we seek to go and live on mission for the Lord, there is so much in this world, so many new truths, so many other gospels, as we've talked about before, other good news that is sprouting up day in and day out. And we must know the word of God so that we can say, yeah, no, that's not right. Yeah, that's not true. I'm going the way that Jesus wants me to go. And we know that through the Bible. We are to be discerning, but it is not our place to judge. It is not our place to judge. It is not our place to condemn, but it is our place to share. It is our place to share and to share the truth, to share the light with all that we can that, hey, Christ died for all, that Jesus died for all, and that there is an end coming. There is a real day coming when Jesus will come and he will take his church and the church will be gone. And there will be wrath poured out on an unrepenting world. Or there will be a day coming, if should the Lord tarry, where life will end. As individuals, death is, you know, it's, it's 100%. 10 out of 10 people die. That, that is a statistic that is firm. And what we can do as those who know the truth of God judging righteously and fairly, And knowing the reality that Christ died for all, that all may come under the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we can share today while we still have today. We can share this truth. We can share this good news. And we have to share all of it. We have to share the bad news. Indeed, that we are all sinners. We have to share that news. And people don't like that. People reject that. But yet we are still called to share it. Because as we do so, it makes the good news all the better. It makes the good news that Jesus wants to save all the better. And so what we need to do today, again, maybe for the first time, is realize that reality. 
is realize the reality that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and you could respond to him. Again, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you cry out to Jesus today and say, hey, I want you to save me, he is faithful to save you. Or maybe for the hundredth time today, you need to be reminded that, hey, you're a sinner that Christ died for. And if you aren't saved, he wants to save you. If you are saved, hey, he wants to work on you. He's still leading you and wants to guide you. He wants to lead you in this life in truth with him, knowing what the truth is through the word of God and through life lived with him. And we are called not to judge, but we are called to share. We are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ in this world that desperately needs it. A world that is one day, that is one day going to end. It's one day going to end and there will be a new heaven and a new earth created one day in the future. But before that comes judgment. Before that comes judgment. And those who reject this truth, that judgment is real and that judgment is for eternity. And so whether you are still sitting in that place of judgment or you're sitting in a place where you are taking and being the judge, today is the day to turn our eyes upward and onward to the truth of Jesus being the only right, that God being the only right judge, that Jesus, oh man, and Jesus is, that Jesus is sacrificed on the cross, man. It made a way for us to not have to sit under that judgment, but to sit and to live in a life that is with Jesus and with the Lord now and into eternity. Let's pray.